welcome to the podcast. You might have, this might be your second notification of the day. I apologize for that. It is, uh, and thanks to uh, my very good friend, Belinda, for growing into who and what she has become recently. But for her heads up that um, apparently I put the monologue after the content and the interview with uh, with Nate yesterday. I have not had an upload error for some time. Um, my apologies for that and the second notification. I know we all have lots of notifications and one more is not necessary. Um, some breaking news as we, I record this, no guest today. Um, TikTok, and I got on this a couple of weeks ago when I had this epiphany, not because of the lieutenant governor was John Husted wanting to restrict teens from TikTok. Um, I kind of scoffed at that. Like I'm like toothpaste is out of the two. But then thinking about kids and getting ready for some mental health presentations and re- reminding myself that, oh, kids' brains aren't fully developed yet. Um, and I'm going to come back to that based on a podcast that I listened to earlier today, the one I talk often about. TikTok announced today that every user under 18 will soon have their accounts default to one hour daily screen limit, screen time limit. Now, of course, they can take that setting off, but I think this is a big enough story. And again, this just came, came my way in the last hour. I hope this becomes an enormous story because as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, in the same way that I couldn't buy parental advisory CDs or buy certain games. Like, I don't think I could buy Mortal Kombat until a certain age. In the same way that, for the most part, at least in my life, we have restricted lots of entertainment content. Music, movies, lots of things we watch, um, video games, because it was kids aren't, aren't mentally prepared for it. I wonder, in hindsight, it is 2020, if not in this case, uh, as vivid as a microscope or a magnifying glass, we should have done this all along. And I don't say this in a histrionic, over-the-top way. Had we done this sooner, we could have saved lives. And I could say that for all the social media platforms, if any of them choose to make this type of adjustment. And I'll say it again. This could have saved lives. We have plenty of information, as we got from the CDC not long ago, that There's a mental health crisis supported by a lot of data for uh, teenage girls and our LGBTQ youth, Uh, anybody that's marginalized or anybody, any young person who is susceptible, which is all of them, to bullying, um, oppressive social pressures on online and on social media apps. And I get it. A lot of good comes from these things. Um, I think I'm like 80-20 when it comes to my headspace as far as being responsible. The 20% is when I doom scroll and I need to put the damn thing down. I'm not perfect. Um, But I think that this is a a pretty good start and I hope this becomes a big story and a wake-up call like what I had a couple weeks ago where parents realize, oh, like you know, you know this is bad for your kid. You, You often see your kid or you see them after they've been on it or they tell you stories or you hear from your friends and their kids' stories, um, maybe you can look at this through the lens of, oh, I wouldn't let them watch, <laughs> here's an 80s reference, Faces of Death when they're nine. I'm not going to let them watch Faces of Social Media Pressure. 
and it, it, like unreachable goals and perfection when they're 13 either because it could lead to, look, we have mental health anguish and challenges from social media and what we see online. How do you think kids who have little experience and coping skills are trying to deal with it? That's why we have many of them the way they are, depressed, broken, anxious, and in some cases maybe dead. Let me continue on this for a moment because it's connected. Um, I will acknowledge that um, when I began to talk a lot about mental health, I was like, this is cool. It's kind of like my superpower. Um, I do not care. I feel no stigma, no judgment, no negative judgment. I mean, judgment can go both ways, right? It can be positive judgment. Take that, Planet Fitness. Um, I feel nothing. So I boldly, no, I'll take that away because I have to um, qualify this. I'm totally transparent when it comes to sharing my mental health anguish journey, challenges, stories, medications, therapy visits, super private stuff, um, all those things. It's a superpower, relatively speaking, because I would say that most of the population is unwilling to be as forthcoming as I am. Um, I always uh, I do a, a mock intake with my friend Dr. Mata when we do some presentations together so people can see what it's like to be in an intake, to take some of that fear away. And then we always kind of remind everybody, like, you don't have to be me. Um, your counselor, therapist, person you, you were sitting with is trained to ask you things and ask you certain things and in a certain way to pull some answers out of you so they can help you as opposed to me vomiting all over you because I am so forthcoming and so transparent with um, my mental health challenges, which I want to fix and have been quite good for the last handful of months uh, because of a work thing and because getting back on Cymbalta, no strains, no aches, nothing like that. I've put a bag of ice on me in several months, which is really, really good. So I'm listening. Uh, oh, by the way, it's not, people off. I will say that it's superpower, but I will not say you are so courageous for doing that because I do deeply believe it's only courage if you're afraid. Do you want me to be courageous? Put a Band-Aid on me. Uh, send me up to the highest roller coaster um, you can think of. To me, that's courage because I am afraid. You have to overcome a fear to exercise courage. It is nothing for me to sit here and tell you some of the sexual dysfunction I've had to deal with, uh, with, with the medications. Uh, that's probably as private as things can go because you know everything else. I'm not afraid of doing that because I want you to, I want you to help yourself. Which allows me to segue to what I heard today. There has been um, a longitudinal study by Harvard for decades, and I think it's mostly uh, mostly I think it's all men, uh, some upper class, some middle class, but also some lower lower economic uh, people, and it's decades and decades long. Um, just if you look up the Harvard longitudinal longitudinal study. Um, you will come across it. Maybe if you've read similar things to me, you're loosely familiar with it. When I heard the host, uh, Derek Thompson, on Plain English speaking with the researchers, um, I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of this. It's been referenced because in all the books I've read, no matter the decade, it gets referenced because this thing is so ongoing. Got me to think of a couple of things I want to share. 
Um, I wish I could push my superpower off on anybody, whether you're 43 or 23 or 13. I wish I could push all this stuff that I have. wish I could touch you. Like uh, instead of Rogue from the X-Men taking their power, I want to give you mine. I don't know a superhero that does that off the top of my head. I wish I could touch you and give you the strength to share all of your mental health struggles so you can get to a better spot where I am. I'm not cured. I'm not perfect. I'm not where I, I'm in a better spot. But I'm probably a lot better along than, than most people. Wish I could touch you and give you that strength. I, I say this when I go see uh, Perrysburg a couple weeks ago with the teachers um, when I was at Springfield the other day and this podcast is talked about different ages of people and how they are mentally, obviously. One thing that I think sparked this was how people are... Like, if you get past middle age, maybe more often than not, you're content. Um, you have built decades of coping skills and found the right coping mechanisms for you. And then they did discuss a little bit of middle age. You know, it, when you're a kid, it's obviously the toughest. 20s are tough too. But as you inch towards middle age, still a lot of job pressures, family pressures. That's like I, I have said all along with, with my counseling. I just got to get past that point. Uh, middle age white dude get past that, make it through that, and maybe I go, I'm not going to take my life one day. Like, that's the hot zone for potential suicides. And that's kind of supported with what was in this podcast today. Um, not not every older person is is in a good spot. In fact, they illustrated one person who I guess didn't have a lot in their life, but when they were 71, they started going to the gym. And they met people with similar interests. And for the first time in this person's life, they were invigorated. Um, I wish I could give my coping skills and I can only share them. Um, I wish I could give those skills, but more so my experiences to people that are younger than me, especially kids, because kids need them most because again, the brains are not developed as ours are. Even if I gave them my coping skills, they might know they might still make irrational teenager decisions but it was fascinating to hear this study go through the decades and hear how like hear someone else talk about how we are mentally different at different ages and we know because we're older now but to hear it in this in this researcher way um it was fascinating and provoked a lot of thought the other thing that i took from it was something else that's kind of been a theme recently when we're kids, as we get older, we have to like untwist everything. Um, and we're better about it now, not holding kids up to unreachable standards from when, things we watched as kids and, and, our, and our parents. We're better at it, but we're not perfect because we don't know how kids are perceiving things. There was this song a couple of years ago I heard. It wasn't a hit, but it was a girl saying, Disney lied to me about everything. Like, I'm not going to be a princess. My life is not going to be perfect. Um, and I, I wish we could give kids experiences so they could learn this faster. Um, so they wouldn't be as broken as they are. And one of the things was, we often talk about, it, I talk about, Dr. Mata threw this at me first. 
Happiness is a feeling. Sadness is a feeling. It is not a character trait. Like if somebody says, oh, they're happy, uh, they're probably misspeaking. You you might see them when they're uh, when they're happy all the time, but th- it's a feeling. It's fleeting. It's um, it's ephemeral, short lived, and that's that's life. There are going to be times when you're happy. There's times when you're going to be down. Um, in fact, you can even ask the, the philosophical question: If you're happy all the time, some of the happiness has to be down. Like it is on a spectrum. Um, so you've got to go back and forth. It's part of being human, a living creature, to know good from bad, happy from sad. Um, and she talks about living in the middle and bouncing back and forth. And hopefully you're spending more time being happy than sad. In fact, uh, if we're doing decree degrees, like if 10 is happy, 5 is the middle, which it's really not. And I, I can use zero. If zero is super sad, 10 is super happy. And I just explained those. Dr. Mata's like, be at five. Like live at five and you will travel across the spectrum of happiness and sadness. And I would add to that, if you could live at six, which is slightly on the happy side, you got it made. And we can even call six simply contentment. And I think we overlook the fact that being content should be enough because things twist our minds, like social media, TV shows, things we watch as kids, thinking we're going to grow up to be Captain America, um, the heroes from Paw Patrol, and uh, and PJ Masks, whatever. It, like all that stuff has to be untwisted. And um, one of the people they talked about in the study, and I don't know if it was the older gentleman, um, I think they said they were thinking of like getting rid of this person at first. They, the person was very unremarkable, but then they they dove into the person's life and like this person like hasn't made. They're an unremarkable person, but they are very content with their life. And I think we need to find a way to accept that because so much tells us to be LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, the best teacher in the state, the best principal, whatever it may be. And those are great goals to strive for. But and I'm not saying bad, bad and poor unsuccessful is different from unremarkable okay i think there's a difference and there's nothing wrong with being unremarkable especially if you are content in that and we can do microsurgery on our brains to make ourselves believe that unremarkable can bring contentment being paid well being treated well can make you content the starbucks in mommy is uh making a plan to unionize um, cool. I hope you, I hope it's worth your job. You're going to likely get fired. Now, maybe it's just a veiled threat. Maybe they just threw it out there. Oftentimes these are store-based problems, um, store by store. Um, and maybe they just put that out there to get on the Starbucks radar to apply some pressure. It's like, yo, uh, flag over here, red flag. This manager sucks. You, I, we brought this up before we talked about this before. I, think it's a lousy especially it's a lousy idea because you can accomplish the same thing especially in this climate um by leaving by leaving you you have very little strength to flex very few muscles to use as an employee even as a group unless you're willing to one strike and many won't because a lot of unions have strike funds, but it's not your regular pay. And because so many people who are in these situations are paycheck to paycheck, they can't miss 
a dime. The other reason that has allowed this thing to get out of hand is uh, the out of hand disparity with um, employers and, and the gap between them and, and labor. When it was a lot closer, the fortunes were tied together. Now, people, companies that make billions of dollars, tens and tens of millions of dollars, they don't care about you and your $12 thing. Like, they'll just get other people. In fact, they might, they might find an employee who will do it for $11 because that person is so desperate for a job. So the best thing you could do, especially as a group, is leave, especially now. And I get that your Starbucks job is not necessarily for you. You often hear baseball players and, and athletes who have very strong unions say this. It's like, I'm Max Scherzer. I'm not ready to go on strike or I'm not standing up for me. I've made my money. I'm standing up for the next Max Scherzer in 10 years so the owners don't take them. And by the way, the owners, even though uh, the owners do take the players, they always win. Ownership, em- employers always win these things uh, in the long run. Labor might get some things they want, but not nearly as much as the owners and employers wind up with. And they might say, oh, we, we got beat. You know, we're we're cry poor. It ain't true. It's just lip service. What's so good about saving your damn Starbucks job? Hmm? Like, are you, I get it. You're doing it for better benefits, being treated better. There's so many things that you're trying to improve within your situation. At Starbucks, I unless you are in some type of management function, if you're just a barista, I'm sorry. There is a difference between a job and a career. I would say fight for your career. Don't fight for a job, especially when it comes to a place like the Mommy Starbucks. You can safely walk across the street to Panera and go, hey, I used to work at Starbucks. They're treating me like shit. When can I start? And they would say, how about 30 minutes ago? That's the other thing that gives employees much more power than they had before the pandemic. If it's restaurant or retail, if it's mostly jobs, not necessarily careers, you can go anywhere. Like you can get hired on the spot at a lot of places. Target seems like a great place to work. Maybe not perfect, but great. Everybody in there, I I have always said this. I like to give my money in places where people seem to be content. It aches my soul at Walmart. Some of those people are just so down. Target, totally different. Those people at Starbucks could en masse just walk out and say, we're done. Instead of forming a union, and and I get that that's the the larger goal, but all of you walking out sends the same message, and you can walk out literally across the street and get that same job. Um, A good example of why um, unions don't have the punch, unless you're uh, professional sports, that they used to, we talked about this two years ago. Do you remember when one of the... um, Blocks who owned the blade. I think the the wife might be the ex-wife now. Said all kinds of stuff about January sixth, and she wasn't on the good side. The many of the blade writers were furious. Um, and they did a but, and instead of like saying we're not working, we're striking, and they are they they are a union. And uh, my friend at the time said we it's called a wildcat strike where there's not much planning. You just go off work. They uh, they decided not to do that. Instead, they did a byline strike where they took all, all of their names off of the, their pieces of work on a specific day. Do you remember that? I didn't think so. Did it do anything? No. 
No, and I've I've known people who work for bigger media places who are in unions, and okay, it, it maybe protects your job a little bit, but you also hate that job. So why do you need the protection? Leave. Again, we can send just as big a message if you leave these places that are toxic to work in. Happy ice cream opening day. We couldn't have had better weather for it. I'm staring at beautiful sunshine, a cardinal. I'll have to let Nate know. And it's 60-some degrees outside. And I can only pray, oh, Diddy's doing fine. The cone lasted eight seconds. Uh, As I suspected, this morning when he wasn't drowsy anymore, um, I put it on. He let me put it on. He didn't really have a choice. I go in the kitchen. He follows me in the kitchen. The cone was off. Luckily, he can't really get to it. He doesn't seem to be irritated by it. I do think in his days last, his his days state last night, he did pee himself on the couch, which I think is um, I thought was more funny than anything, and I did kind of feel bad for him. Uh, Diddy's good. It's ice cream opening day. So I will pray on my dogs and my dad and my dearest friends that we have this weather for opening day on March 31st. I believe we will be broadcasting the show or the podcast live at Cock and Bull. More details to come. And I think we have cleared everything for the day. Thanks for listening. Sorry for two notifications.